You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Today's Advent reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth, and rough, rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And I'll be honest, when I think of like Christmas stories and Advent passages, the birth of John the Baptist typically isn't one that I think of, and neither is the birth announcement, which is where we'll be spending our time in today. But as we dive into the text, what we're going to see is that this is not primarily a story about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and it's not even primarily a story about John, but actually it's a story about God and his announcement that salvation has come. And that's what makes this very much a Christmas story. And as we look at God's announcement that salvation has come, we're going to see that we can trust what God is saying here because it's God who's saying it. So let's dive in and see what the Lord has for us today. Beginning in verse 5, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. So at the beginning of the story, we find Zechariah and Elizabeth in a place of deep brokenness. We're told that they're blameless according to God's commandments, which means that all their life they have been faithful to follow the instructions and the commands that the Lord has given to them. And according to Deuteronomy, if you are faithful to follow those commandments, the Lord will bless you with children. And so because we're told they're righteous in God's sight, we expect them to be blessed with an abundance of children. But that's not the case. No, in fact, we're told they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. So not only did they not have a child, but they were getting pretty old too. And so throughout the years, they would have been hoping and praying for a child, particularly for a son. But as they got older and older, that hope would have grown smaller and smaller and smaller until we find them here in this place of hopelessness. They also would have been in a place of deep shame as well uh, from their community, even though they were righteous, since children were considered a blessing from the Lord, a lack of children would have been considered a curse from the Lord by their community. Uh, and, And their lack of children would have caused the people around them to assume that they had actually been wicked 
or that they had done something to merit God's disfavor. And so when we come to Zechariah and Elizabeth here, we find them in a place of hopelessness and shame and just deep brokenness. But God has much in store for this couple. And we're going to see what he has in store for them beginning in verse 8. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. So we see here that Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter into the holy place. And that's important to note. Uh, There's a few instances throughout the Bible of the casting of lots. And we kind of come into that and think that it's just this chance thing that they're just kind of rolling the dice and hoping for the best. Uh, But that's not the case at all, actually. The, The casting of lots is grounded in this idea that there are certain choices that only God should be making. And so when they cast lots, they trust that the decision that's made will be the one by God. And so when Zechariah is chosen by lot here, that's saying that he was chosen by God to enter into the holy place at this moment. God is being purposeful here in his dealings with Zechariah. He's being purposeful to draw him near, even in the midst of his intense brokenness and hopelessness. God is being purposeful to draw Zechariah near into his presence. And we see God's further purpose for Zechariah in verse 11, which says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And so this is already a big day for Zechariah. Like he is in the holy place. He's the closest that he'll ever be to the presence of God. But then an angel appears. And this angel, the appearance of this angel shows us that God is about to act. God is about to do something big for both Zechariah and Elizabeth and for all of his people. And the angel's here to announce what that is. And so Zechariah is overcome with fear at the sight of the angel, but the angel says this wonderful thing, beginning in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. So there's a lot to unpack here that the angel says, but one thing is very sure. This is good news. This is very good news, both for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but also for us. So let's see what this good news is. The first bit of good news comes right at the beginning. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. And uh, we can know from the grammar of the Greek that this has been a continual prayer on Zechariah's part. And so even though Zechariah has been in this place of hopelessness and brokenness and despair, he has still been crying out to the Lord and the Lord has heard him. 
Because God does not forget his people, even in the midst of brokenness. Even though Zechariah and Elizabeth felt hopeless and that God was not going to act on their behalf, he had not forgotten them. He had purposed to act at this time. And the angel is announcing, Zechariah, don't be afraid because God has heard you. God has not forgotten you. And the angel goes on to tell him, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. And so he tells Zechariah that, hey, God has not forgotten you. He's going to act to save you. And he's gonna give you a son. That son will be named John. And John is a Hebrew name, Yohanan, that means God has shown favor. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are sitting in this place where they feel like their community assumes that they have garnered God's disfavor. But this angel comes in and he says, no, God has shown you favor. The Lord has not forgotten you. He has heard your prayer and he has shown you favor. But not only is the angel announcing that God has shown them favor, but he's also telling them that with this son, he's gonna completely change their broken and desperate situation. We see that in verse 14, which says, there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. And so God is telling Zechariah that through this son, he is going to change their hopelessness into delight. And he's gonna change their shame into joy, not just for them, but also for many people around them. Not only will they have a son, but this son will be great in the sight of the Lord. This son will turn many people back to the Lord. He will turn people from their disobedient nature to the understanding of the righteous ways of God. There's even better news right here. It says, he will go before him. Well, who's he going before? Man, he's going before the Messiah. John is coming before the Lord himself. The angel has just announced to Zechariah and now announced to us as well that the Messiah is coming. Salvation is coming. Jesus is coming. That's what the angel has told us. And so this is not just good news for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but this is very, very good news for us. God is telling us that what he's gonna do for Zechariah and Elizabeth on this small scale with their son, turning hopelessness into delight and shame into joy, that's what God is going to do for the whole world through this Messiah that John is coming before. So this is very good news. But how does Zechariah respond to this good news? Not super well. Uh, we see his response in verse 18. He says, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And so Zechariah has just been told this incredible good news, this incredible proclamation by the angel. But he says, I don't believe this. This can't happen. My wife is too old. I don't believe you. He doesn't respond in faith. He doesn't believe what God has just told him. And the angel responds to him this way. In verse 19, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God 
and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So the angel who we now learn is named Gabriel, he rebukes Zechariah for his lack of trust. Gabriel appeals to two reasons why Zechariah should have trusted what he was just told. Uh, The first thing that Gabriel appeals to is that he stands in the presence of God, which means that this message that he received, he received in the presence of God. And so this was a message from God himself. The second thing that we see is that Gabriel was sent to give this message. Well, he was sent by God to give this message. And so Gabriel doesn't appeal to, well, I'm an angel. Look at me, I'm pretty cool. You should have believed me. No, he says, I got this message from God and that's why you should have believed it because it came from God. And Zechariah has reason to trust this God. This is the God that spoke creation into being. This is the God that pulled Israel out of slavery in Egypt and led them into salvation in the promised land. Zechariah has reason to trust this God. This is the God that became flesh. This is the God that sent his only son so that we could have life through his death on the cross. We have reason to trust this God. Unfortunately, though, we can be like Zechariah. Though we can trust what God says because it is God who says it, we don't always trust, do we? Even in this rebuke, though, we see God's graciousness to us when we don't trust. And we see that graciousness in a couple different ways here in this text. The first uh, comes in verse 20. Gabriel says that these things will be fulfilled in their proper time. Though Zechariah lacked trust in what God said he would do, God is still faithful to accomplish his purposes. Because even when we are unfaithful, God is a God who shows faithful love to thousands of generations. Even when we lack the trust that is needed for us, God is still faithful enough to fulfill what he has promised. God is still going to do what he said he could do. His promises are not contingent on Zechariah. That's a really kind thing. It is a very, very gracious thing that God's, the fulfillment of God's promises are not dependent on us and our trust. Because even though we can trust this God, we don't always, right? And so it's God's graciousness and his kindness that he will do what he says he will do. It's not dependent on Zechariah. And we see in verse 24 of this chapter that the promise does indeed come to fruition. And it says, after these days, uh, that's after Zechariah came back from his service in the temple. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. Even though Zechariah didn't trust, even though Zechariah lacked faith that God would do what he said he would do, God still did it. 
Zechariah didn't trust that God would show him favor, but Elizabeth declares it here. The Lord has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace amongst the people. And this is God's graciousness, even in the lack of Zechariah's trust. The other way that we see God's graciousness here is how he deals with Zechariah. He does discipline him. We're told that Zechariah will not be able to speak until the day uh, that John is born, but this discipline is, is an act of love. Discipline is always, discipline from the Lord is always an act of love. And we see this illustrated in Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12, which tells us, do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. And so God's discipline of Zechariah is an act of love. And it has a purpose. And the purpose of this discipline is to move Zechariah from a place of not trusting into a place of trusting in God's goodness and God's promises. And we can see that in verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. And so we see that this does take time. This discipline does take time. But that's God's kindness. Because, I mean, think about it. Like if Zechariah, even if he had remained speechless for the remainder of his ministry, but then he went back home and he could all of a sudden talk again, we wouldn't, he wouldn't trust what God had just told him. And so God's discipline to keep him speechless from that day until the day of John's birth, that's an act of trust. Or sorry, that's an act of discipline. And it's an act of love to move him from not trusting towards trusting. And we see that God does this. God is kind to Zechariah and God is gracious to bring Zechariah to this place of trust. And we see that when John is born. Uh, so when, when John is born, there's like a little discrepancy between Elizabeth and some of the other people about what his name should be. Uh, and then, so they, they asked Zechariah, hey, what should his name be? Uh, and so in Luke chapter one, verse 63, says he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. His name is John. This is a declaration of trust that God did what he said he would do. When Zechariah writes on that tablet that his name is John, he is declaring, yes, the Lord has shown favor. The Lord is faithful to his promise. The Lord has done what he said he would do. And so this is a declaration of trust that Zechariah is now giving. So what changed? The, the last time Zechariah said anything, it was a declaration of not trusting. But now he's trusting again. So what's the difference? The difference is that God has been exceedingly kind and gracious to him to discipline him in love and move him from a place of not trusting to trusting. God did require faith of Zechariah, but when Zechariah lacked it, God was kind to him and gave him the trust that he needed. 
Though Zechariah did not trust before, God was still faithful to his promise. And he was even so kind as to give Zechariah the trust that was required of him. And now Zechariah, with this new trust that the Lord has given him, he trusts both the promise about his own son. Remember, he's declared that the Lord has indeed shown favor. But then he also trusts the even greater promise that was given to him, that promise of the coming Messiah, that promise that salvation for all God's people has come. And so uh, in verse 67 of chapter one, we see that Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit from this new place of trust and he prophesies. And so these are the words of the Lord in Luke chapter one, starting in verse 68. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we've been rescued from the hands of our enemies, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the declaration of God that salvation has come. Redemption for us has come. Knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of our sins by the blood of Christ, that has come. Salvation has come. That's what God is declaring to us here. He's saying that we've been taken from the enemies. We've been freed from our enemies of sin and death and wickedness and all evil. We've been freed from those things in Jesus. Salvation has come in Jesus. And we can trust that because it's God who says it. And salvation will come when Jesus comes again to make all things new. And we can trust that because it's God who says this. God will give us redemption. He has given us redemption and he will give us full redemption. He has dealt mercifully with us. The dawn from on high has visited us. Jesus did come. God was faithful to this promise. And so we can trust him when he tells us that Jesus will come again and we can trust it because God says it. So if you find yourself here today fully trusting that salvation has come, that, that's great. Like, that's, dude, that's awesome. Like, praise God. Do what Zechariah did and praise the Lord for his mercy and his compassion and his kindness and the salvation that he has brought to us and remain in that trust. If you find yourself here trusting that salvation did come in Jesus, but you're having trouble trusting that he will come again. Man, God is kind. He is gracious. Come to him with that lack of trust and he will give you the trust that you need 
God is faithful to finish the work that he has started in you. That work of trust and his salvation that he started, he will bring that to full completion. And we can trust that because he said it. If you find yourself here and you've never trusted that salvation has come in Jesus in the first place, God is inviting you into that trust today. He's inviting you into the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of your sins. The Lord desires to give you this knowledge. The Lord desires to be gracious to us. God is inviting us to trust him today. He wants us to trust this message that salvation has come. We can trust that because it is God, the Lord of heaven and earth. God, who is gracious and compassionate and kind, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. This is the God who declares this salvation to us today. And that's why we can trust it because it's that God who declares that to us. It is God who gives us this message and it is God who has done the work of salvation. It is God who has given us salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. We sing these songs that we're gonna sing with delight and joy because just as God turned hopelessness into delight and shame into joy for Zechariah and Elizabeth, he has done that for us in Jesus. And when Jesus returns, he will do that fully and completely and all things will be made new again. That's what we sing about. That's what we celebrate because Jesus is the dawn from on high that has visited us. Jesus is the dawn from on high that will visit us. And Jesus has, he does, and he will guide our feet into the way of peace. Praise the Lord. God, I thank you for the work of salvation that you have done. I thank you that you have been kind and gracious to us to bring us Christ, to bring us the salvation that we needed. God, you have moved us from our brokenness and our hopelessness, and you have brought us into marvelous light, God, and I thank you for that. God, I praise you for this work of redemption, for salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, when we lack trust, I pray that you give us more and more. Lord, be gracious and kind to us to give us the trust that we need when we lack it. God, help us to trust what you have said because you have said it. God, you are good. You are faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. God, may we celebrate the coming of Jesus with joy and delight. Everything that threatens to, to hold us down, everything that threatens, that, that the devil wants to throw at us to keep us in this place of hopelessness, God, break those chains. We sang of it earlier. We have been set free from these things, God, by the salvation that you've brought to us. So Lord, I pray that we would not be held down, we would not be burdened by these things, but that we would bring these burdens to you and in you, we would find hope and peace and love and joy. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. It's in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.